Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, May 2nd, 2017. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 34, the first full paragraph. Today's readers are Martha Z. on the 12 Steps, Esther F. on the 12 Traditions. Reading the text are Allison L., Tina S., and Martha Z. And our newcomer greeter today is Mary Ann D. The reference numbers for yesterday, Monday, May 1st, the 7 a.m. meeting is 9893, and the 10 a.m. meeting is 9894. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Martha Z. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Kathy Kay. Thanks for your service. This is Martha C. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater by the grace of God from near Philadelphia. Twelve steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, 
We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Martha Z. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Kathy. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought never ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther F. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we begin our study on page 34 in the big book, the first full paragraph, which begins, as we look back, we'll read two paragraphs and comment on both. And I will ask Allison S. I'm sorry, Allison L. to get us started. Thank you, Allison. Thank you. Good morning. This is Allison L., recovered compulsive overeater in Ohio. As we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the point where we could quit on our own willpower. If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for one year. 
If he's a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there's scant chance of success. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remain sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. We think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. Ah, So thinking back on my drinking, my eating career, um, before I came to Overeaters Anonymous, um, I went through spells where I, um, you know, a friend had asked me to go on a sugar fast with her and I was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. So for 30 days, I, I didn't have any sugar. Um, you know, I was going through a canister of raisins like every other day and having to go to the store to buy more, but I didn't have any sugar. Um, and then I thought when that was over, well, now I can moderate. And then I found I couldn't moderate. And so over the course of the year before I came to program, um, I was in this constant cycle of trying to moderate or trying to fast from foods I didn't want to eat. And I just couldn't. Um, there were things I didn't want to eat and I couldn't stop from eating them. I didn't come to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting because I had nothing better to do on a Saturday morning. I came out of desperation. Um, I had the, uh, the utter inability to leave it alone for sure. Um, and then I remember um, in my first local meetings hearing people talk about things they didn't eat. I didn't know why, but I thought there had to be something to do with, you know, sugar and that I needed to stop eating it. That's all I heard. So, um, again, I thought, well, there's the answer. You know, that's what I've been kind of trying to do. Um, they also do these steps along with it. So let me see if I can um, do this on my own. I didn't want uh, anybody else involved in my business, especially not in my food. So. Um, I tried to um, eat better. I'm using my air parentheses there. Eat better, um, avoid sugar and flour, and and kind of um, think about the steps and, and ask God to help me was kind of what I was doing. And I remember a month after coming to program was my son's third birthday, and I made cupcakes and I made gluten-free cupcakes for some of his friends. And um, after his, you know, I abstained. I didn't have any. I felt so good. And afterwards, you know. The, there were leftover cupcakes and I didn't have any and but I couldn't throw them away and they sat in my garage <laughs> they were covered but they sat in my garage for days and each day I could feel my willpower um, declining and each day I knew I knew eventually I was going to have them I couldn't throw them away and I knew I was going to eat those cupcakes and so like on day six or seven I was out there in tears eating the disgusting even the disgusting heart of the rock gluten-free ones I was eating them um, and I knew, um, I knew that I needed this program and I knew I needed the steps. And uh, that was, I'd like to say that's the last time I did something like that, but I had more lessons to learn even in program. Uh, I knew that I could not quit upon a non-spiritual basis at that point. And so um, I live differently now because I I'm, became abstinent. I worked through the steps um, as I was directed by my guide, as the instructions in this book tell me to. 
and I don't live by my own will anymore. So I um, will, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Allison L. Okay, who would like to share on these two paragraphs? Mr. R. Tina S. Larry. Rebecca A. One second. Larry B. One second, please. Uh, Let's see. I have, here's who I have. I have Nessa R., Tina S., Larry K., Valerie B. I'll take two more. Okay, I heard Chrissy G. I didn't hear anybody else before that. Rachel W. Okay, um, we're going to stop there and we'll have another round. Here's who I have this first round. Nessa R., Tina S., Larry K., Valerie B., Charles H., and Chrissy G. Please go ahead, Nessa R. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. It's Nessa R., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, You know, I, I need to recognize that I have a problem before I can accept a solution. And not only I need to recognize a problem, I have to properly diagnose or have a proper diagnosis of that problem. Um, But you know, we have a, this is the only disease really where the patient has to diagnose himself. And paradoxically, this is the only disease um, that tells me that I don't have a disease. You know, like somebody with diabetes goes to the doctor and undergoes medical tests and they're told you have diabetes and they say, okay, so what do I do about it? So they accept the, the, the diagnosis, they accept they have a problem, they know what the problem is, and they um, ask for the solution implemented, finished. Uh, they don't say, oh, well, I really don't have diabetes. You know, I don't believe it. I don't believe the blood test. I don't believe the, the urine test. I don't believe the doctors. But with us, we have to diagnose ourselves. And in the, the big book, um, in, in a number of places, this is, I think, uh, the second place where it talks about, you know, your own diagnosis. Um, you know, it talks about, okay, how do, how, what do I do to diagnose myself? Like, what kind of tests do I have to undergo? And there's some very precise tests. But it also tells me that it is not my job to convince anyone that um, they are a compulsive overeater. It is not my job to tell anybody else that they are a compulsive overeater. And the paradox and, and the corollary of that is that they need to accept my solution. My only job here is to convince myself, to ascertain myself, yes, I am a compulsive overeater. Yes, I have an allergy of the body because when I start eating my binge ingredients, my my binge foods, I indulge in my binge behaviors, I am unable to stop. And yes, I have a mental obsession because when I am stopped, my mind keeps keeps telling me, that it is okay for me to go back to those things, even though the evidence uh, is totally stacked uh, towards the contrary of, of, of that assertion of my mind. Um, and once I have accepted that, then, then I am ready to take certain steps, and I'm ready to, to accept these drastic proposals, which become my solution to my compulsive overeating problem, which um, actually is the medium to, uh, to reach my solution, which is, which is God. But first, I got to diagnose myself. 
Uh, I diagnose myself, nobody diagnoses me, and I don't diagnose anybody else. I'm not here to convince anybody. I'm here um, to pass it on to whoever cares to, uh, to have it and to do it. And with, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Tina S., please go ahead. Thanks, Kathy, for your service. Uh, Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater, anorexic in Florida. Well, some great paragraphs here. And, you know, I always have to say this because initially when I first read this book, a lot of things, even though I could relate to some, I couldn't relate to others because it wasn't my experience. And, you know, when it talks about, you know, stopping for a year or more, that is just like, when I think back, I'm thinking, oh, my God, there was no way I could have ever done that. You know, my experience is from very young at the age five, I can remember that, you know, that's just something that I did. And I knew my sisters didn't do it, but I didn't understand. I was five years old. And so that's what I did for a very long time and, and suffered, you know, the consequences of being overweight and, you know, having to shop at different places and not getting the cute outfits that my sisters got and stuff like that. And even today, I get very emotional about that. But, you know, one of the things that I do remember stopping for periods of times was, you know, I participated in sports when I got older. So as long as it was basketball season or softball season, you know, I was like gun ho on this, you know, great uh, food eating, eating or not eating, just as long as I was at the weight that I wanted to be plan, you know, and, um, and it certainly didn't work for a long period of time. You know, it did not work. And so, you know, I'm, you know, I was certainly potential and maybe beyond, you know, um, my own aid or anybody else's for sure, you know, and so, and I love the, the second paragraph where it says, you know, for those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. My God, what a novel idea, you know, and we were assuming, of course, the reader desires to stop, and that's the third tradition, you know, but one of the things that I had to know was that when I came here initially, I, you know, I couldn't do it on a non-spiritual basis. I tried you know, I had gone away from the church long ago because I thought, you know, hey, I can't do all that. You know, I need to do what I need to do, and it won't be accepted by the church. And when I came back in, because I was finally beaten to a state of reasonableness, I was willing, you know, to do whatever. And I was willing to believe in a power greater than myself one day at a time that he, that, that power could restore me to sanity. And then I had a shot. And through the you know, transformation of the 12 steps, one day at a time, you know, I don't have to eat compulsively. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. Larry K., please go ahead. Hi, Kathy. Can you hear me all right? I can. Thank you. Okay. Okay. You know, here it tells me about, you know, it says whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis without these steps leading to a, being brought into alignment with your higher power depends upon the extent to which they have already lost the power to choose whether they will drink or not. And the thing about it is, is if you have the power within you to stop, and if you're a moderate eater, perhaps a heavy eater, you may have the power to stop on a non-spiritual basis. And if you have that power, then you can stop on your own. And the big book tells us, gives us lots of indications, and we, we hear about lots of people who uh, who could not stop on their own on a non, based on a non-spiritual basis. And I thought when I came into program, I thought for a long time that 
I didn't need a spiritual basis. This was fine as some sort of ancillary kind of secondary thing, working the steps, memorizing the steps, doing a little reading, using the tools. That's great. But primarily what I'm going to try to do was on a non-spiritual basis, I'm going to try to control this thing. And here's how I'm going to try to control it. I'm going to make a bunch of phone calls. I'm going to use you people to make me feel better when I'm not feeling so good because that's what drives me to eat. And I was wrong. None of those things drove me to eat. None of those were the reasons that I ate. I ate because I had the twofold nature of this illness. The allergy of the body, when I put the substance in my body, I had an intensification for the desire for more. And worse than that was the the mental twist, the obsession of the mind, that even when it wasn't in my system, I was driven back again and again. And if I am that person, so I am powerless, no chance to do it on my own, zero chance. If there's a number less than zero, that's your chance to be able to do it on your own power, of your own power then only a spiritual awakening is going to result in the change that's necessary. And it's the steps that produce that spiritual awakening. And once I got that, then I stopped playing games with the program, playing games, because that's what I was doing up until that point. And then I got down to business, and I worked the steps like my hair was on fire, and I worked them imperfectly, but I worked them in a way to in sequence so that I would have the power. I would gain access to the power that I could never give myself. You can't do it yourself if you are, if you have the twofold nature of this disease. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry K. Valerie B., please go ahead. I don't know how to follow that, but this is Valerie B., um, Recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God, and um, I just I just wanted it as we were reading the passages. I was thinking about all the times that I had you know tried to lose weight. Now my problem was was that I wasn't thin enough, and in in my case I I, I always call myself um, it, it's kind of like I've got two ends of the disease. You know, not like kind of uh, anorexic-ish and then overeating, and I, I don't understand how that works. But but when I was I I was uh, I was almost about 125, um, but I grew up in a neighborhood where some a lot of my friends were very tiny and very petite, and I was pretty much tall and slender. Well, no, no, I had to be. I wanted to be thinner. And I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with the size of my body. I look. I look back at where where I used to be in those days, and I was so small. But I. But I. But there was something wrong in the way I perceived myself. And uh, you know, growing up in New York, every young not every young girl, but back in those days, I, I wanted to be a model, and I could. You know, I just wasn't. You know, thin. You know, I just wasn't. Didn't think I was thin enough. And I would be starving myself and starving myself. Well, when my metabolism was working, I'd do it three, four, five days, and I'd be where I wanted to be. But each year, it was longer and longer and longer. And then, and then you know, um, even though, by the grace of God, my metabolism was still pretty good by the time I was 25 or 30, but then something happened. 
and life started to hit, and real life started to hit. I still was grown up. I'm facing adult responsibility, adult problems. I'd be running to the food. I couldn't, I couldn't stay away from it. And then all of a sudden, you know, the fact that I was not happy with the size that God gave me to be and the problems of life, I'd be running to the food, and, and I broke down my metabolism. And the next thing I know, every time I dieted or, and I lost weight and been where I was below my set point, I would always put it, put it back on and then more and then more. And then, you know, by the time I was in my 40s and 50s, you know, I, I was over 200 pounds. And one time I starved myself down to about 115 and that, that doesn't sound like a lot to, to, to some people. I know big, you know, to people that, you know, have a, you know, but maybe that doesn't sound like a lot to some people, but it messed me up. It really messed me up. And I almost lost my job. I was a mess. You know, um, you know, they put me on antidepressants. And, um, and then, you know, thanks to all that and slowing up my metabolism, I put on about 80 pounds that I just couldn't get rid of. And, you know, and meanwhile, I would have this dance with the sugar and the sweets. I'd be off of it for a while, but then the minute somebody would say, oh, you can afford it, you can afford it, you can eat it, you're getting up, blah, blah, blah. And I would let myself be bullied into eating, you know, and then all of a sudden I couldn't stop with the sugar, and here we go again, back to the races. And it's only been since I have done the steps the way the big book talks about doing the steps and learned how to do it's teaching me how to do life, it, and and I really wish that I had gotten this years and decades ago, but um, you know it, it's teaching me how to do life, and I have a place to go. I have people to go to. I have steps that help me deal with the frustrations of life, instead of getting all frustrated and then running to the food or running to the sugar or you know whatever it is. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to God and to you all and to the people that you know put the steps together and and everything. And thank you for letting me share. And I pass. Kathy Kay, are you still there? Sorry, thank you, Valerie B. Charles H., please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy Kay. Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, you know, I like I like this saying, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. You know, I could I could relate to this paragraph. You know, being in the food, being on vision for you. Yeah, I said it. I don't care because who cares, right? The truth will set me free. So. When I, when I started to read where it says, we think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making their, their resolution. You are so right because I could never stop on my own. You know, there's, 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 a, there's, there's, a, there's a few people on the line that's still trying to stop on their own. There's, there's a, a few people on the line trying to stop on a non-spiritual basis, and, and, and it's just not going to work for long. You know, you could stop, I could stay stop a lot of times on my own, but something is going to come down the pipeline that I'm going to be like, you know what, it ain't even worth it. I'm going to pick up again because I'm a real compulsive. Real compulsive overeaters don't want to, you know, there's so many people um, that hate the truth. 
I know people that tell me straight to my face in, in, in meetings, I hate this frigging big book because it's the truth staring in your face. Try to stop for a year. Try to stop on a non-spiritual basis. Let something happen, some real stuff happen, and see if you'd be like, all right, you know what, I'm not going to eat those foods no more. We tried it. These first 100 people, well, the first 87, they tried it. They tried. They was like Mikey. They tried it. They liked it. They didn't like it, and they still ate it, right? So I'm so grateful for these early pioneers that, that blazed, blazed the trail. And some of them didn't make it. You know, look at Hank P. He was the unbeliever. And I'm not, listen, I'm not even taking no talks back. It's real. It's the truth. If you don't believe in something greater than yourself, it's, 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 it's over for you. And so I, I, I learned that the hard way. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Charles H. <clears throat> okay, before we hear from Chrissy G., I just want to mention that we're going to hear an announcement from Melanie right after Chrissy G., and then I will take more names. Okay, Chrissy G., please go ahead. Hi, good morning, Kathy. It's Chrissy G., recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. And as I was listening to this part of the book this morning, I was thinking about a time in my life when I was completely trapped in my house and not able, I had just withdrawn from all of my classes because I couldn't stop eating. I was in college, um, freshman in college, and I was commuting to school. And then after a while, I just couldn't make it to school. And I wound up being in my house for about four weeks, about a month, not leaving my house except to go out to my mother's car to bring in the groceries. And you you all know why I was out doing that. I mean, it was my only motivation to go out. And, and it was a really dark time. And I learned so much during that time about the fierceness of this disease and just what a bully this disease is. And someone mentioned um, how other people could could be forceful and get us to do things that we don't want to do. But I had the bully lived in me. The bully is the disease in, in my head and, and I can't fight it. And I try to make friends with it by bar, bargaining with it and saying, okay, you know, I'll just do this and a little bit of that. And like it says in the book earlier on, and, and I'll never win. I'll never win. I have to realize that it's bigger than me, the disease, and that I need a higher power to come in and fight my battles for me. And that's been my experience, that I, ha- I have to know that I'm defeated, not get up and have determination and resolve. You know, when I hear someone say, you know, today's a new day. I binged yesterday or I purged yesterday, but t- today's a new day. And it sounds like they're pulling themselves up by the bootstraps and they're going to go in in, um, and try another round with the bully. And I'm thinking, you know, I get a sick, sinking feeling in my gut because I just know that I don't know the quality of the attitude or where it comes from, but it's not that attitude. That's the kind of surrender that you need to have to know that you don't have the power to choose. You're not going to get up and, and try again and win today unless you turn to God. With that, I pass. Thank you, Chrissy G. And Melanie C., would you like to make your announcement? Thank you, Kathy. Turning your attention for just a brief moment for a convention promo, A Vision for You is hosting 
a convention this year just the way we like it. The Power of the Big Book, a weekend of inspiration, education, motivation, and fellowship. Have you registered yet? Don't gamble this one. On September 15th, 16th, and 17th, 2017, at the Liberty International Airport Marriott Hotel and Convention Center, we will be having this convention. All the details for this extravagant, wonderful weekend can be found on our website at www.avisionforyou.info. Now back to this compelling big book study and sharing. Kathy Kay, thank you. Thank you, Melanie C. Okay, we'll take some more names. Who would like to share? We really need to take the time because I can't hear anybody. I think I heard Lisa B. Matt M. Matt M. Vas O. Monica. Let's see. Monica T. And I'll take two more. Did I hear Amanda R. and Amy M.C.? And I'm sorry to others who I did not get. We'll see if we have any time left after these six shares. I have Lisa B., Matt M., Vasa O., Monica T., Amanda R., and Amy M.C. Please go ahead, Lisa. Good morning. This is Lisa B. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Thank you. Thank you for your service. This is Lisa B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And thank you for all the shares. You guys really, really speak to me, and I'm so grateful for this meeting and for all of you. Um, I was thinking in this reading what stood out for me is about recovering on the non-spiritual basis. And the, the thought that comes to my mind is when I stepped over the line and really uh, experienced the powerlessness and the despair of my disease. Um, when I was younger, you know, my disease, uh, you know, was there, always there, but just earlier stages of the addiction. But when I got my own apartment, moved out, and I could not stop making peanut butter toast and eating it. And I had my mother come over to help me. And to get me out of the apartment, just remove me from the premises. And she shared with me her thought was that, you know, I'm like my brother, the way he is with cocaine. And I remember looking in her eyes, and um, I could tell she just didn't get what I was trying to explain to her. And this voice said to me, you're screwed. I'm screwed. I knew I was screwed. I knew that this was something that is just going to get worse and worse, that it is never going to go away. And I think I knew at that point that I needed something more. It's just like what it says in the doctor's opinion, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> on XXIX. I'm getting over this cold. Um, in doctor's opinion, he says, Dr. Silkworth, one feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. And I had that awareness in that moment, you know, with my mother sitting there with a big question mark on her face. And I knew that I needed something more. And, you know, I got into 12-step programs and was in and around the rooms for many years. And I had this big book, you know, as a paperweight on my desk and sometimes as a doorstop and other times in my closet. I never had really cracked it open with someone that had experienced this essential psychic change and that experience being recovered from this malady of compulsive overeating. And 
it wasn't until then that um, I met my recovered sponsor on this line in OA, A Vision for You, and I began to understand. You know, and for years I tried just to be a better person, you know, just to have willpower. And, oh, I became obsessed with food plans. You know, I, I experienced paleo and vegetarianism and vegan and I mean, I tried everything, everything out there, just to be a better person. And um, it never worked. It never worked. It wasn't until it was explained to me. And I love how it talks about um, this baffling feature, the inner, utter inability to leave it alone. And as I've aged, you know, my disease has become younger, stronger, more vital, more full of life. And it just uh, whoops the crap out of me, you know, just really devastates me. And... Um, it's always there. It's always there. It never goes away. And that's why now that I am recovered, I live in steps 10, 11, and 12 still like my life depends on it, even more so. You know, I shared yesterday with a sponsee that steps 9, 10, 11, and 12 were really hard, you know, and still are very challenging. Um, but it's, it's my life. It's what I need to do and be. And it's one day at a time, dependent on my spiritual condition. So thank you for all your service, for all of you being there, and for all of you that share and don't share and just having you there with me. I appreciate it in the past. Thank you, Lisa B. Matt M., please go ahead. Can you hear Can I be heard? Yes, you can, Matt. Thank you for your service, Kathy K. Good morning, everyone. My name is Matt M. I'm a compulsive overeater over here in New Jersey on the East Coast. And uh, we are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. I don't know about you, but for me, um, I got up to 650 pounds because I didn't want to stop eating. I want to actually didn't realize it, but I wanted to kill myself. I was killing myself slowly. I was also in a full of depression. The, line, the blinds were drawn. I didn't shower for weeks at a time. My legs would be so infected in the, in the folds of my legs because I wasn't showering with pus. And... Uh, I was doing things that I wasn't proud of. I was calling people to home. I was calling pizzerias and all kinds of other places to come bring food to me. Spending $60, $70 money I did not have for my rent. I almost was homeless a couple, multiple times because my uncle had a bit My uncle bailed me out. He didn't have to, but he bailed me out by paying my rent. So he was enabled. I, got ena- I was being enabled by a lot of people in my life at the time. And uh, this is a baffling feature of compulsive overeating, as I know it. The utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity to wish. Now I want to stop, but I'm still I was still struggling with the food to put complete everything down completely. So it's like I am I am completely powerless and hopeless in this disease. I admit that, which is the first step anyway. And uh, I do believe I have a higher power that can restore me to sanity. That's going to help me someday to get out of this mess. I'm just grateful I have the ability to do it. I have the willingness to do it today, just for just for today, one day at a time. With that, I'll pass. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you, Matt. Um, Vasa O, oh, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Kathy Kay, for your service. And I'm grateful, recovered, compulsive obedience, calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. Looking back in my, e- my eating history, I did everything what I have heard, plus it's just, uh, you know, the only thing I didn't have done, my jaws wired in those days. That this was like 32 years ago, or I have the staple my stomach. They would staple their stomachs in those days, and hypnotists. And I wanted to try them so bad, but I was so afraid. And everything else I had tried, and I had failed over and over. I mean, I made uh, promises or resolutions 
you know, for New Year's Eve or for a special occasion or, um, for the summer so I can get into my bathing suit. And, and it's not like I didn't want to stop eating. Believe me, I did want to stop. And I've been looking for the solution to do it by my own will and by own my by my own willpower for years. It's not like I didn't. I did. I just couldn't do it any longer. So it's by the grace of God. But at the time I came to Overeaters Anonymous, I was just so ready and willing to admit. Of course, I admit I couldn't do it any longer. And what I heard was. I needed to find a power greater than myself. Uh, so that's what my sponsor said. You know, you, we can't do it by ourselves. And at that time, I was saying, you know, I don't care. I don't care who helps me as long as I don't have to do it by myself any longer. This is a progressive disease. I mean, I had given up, you know, on my diet even before I came to Overeaters Anonymous. I had given. I had surrendered into the food because I couldn't do it any longer. And I remember saying, I'm just going to die fat and miserable. And without even knowing, I was killing myself with the food, but I couldn't stop. I was powerless. And I saw some of my family members into this disease and how the diabetes, the high blood pressure, and heart surgeries. And I know, I know the killer of this disease but I didn't know the solution. I didn't know how to find it. And I thank God I was led into Overeaters Anonymous and given this big book, the 12, this is where I learned about the allergy, about the mental obsession, and the doctor's opinion. My time is up. I'm so grateful. And now, it's, I mean, I've done the steps many times over and over. I'm, you know, I'll never be done till I'm dead. And I stay in step 10, 11, 10, 11, 12, and pass it on and help others. Thank you for letting me share that pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Monica T., please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So here we are in a chapter more about alcoholism. And this chapter is dealing with the second half of step one, unmanageability, dealing with my mind, the mental obsession. So here... There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, you know, ever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And like everyone else on this line, you know, I too tried 50 million ways to try to get this eating under control and, you know, uh, I couldn't. My willpower didn't do it. My my knowledge, uh, you know, I've got this keen alcoholic mind that doesn't work like other people. And it likes to tell me lies. And I heard somebody describe the unmanageability this way. And I just, just hammered it home for me. All right. Unmanageability. Number one, I do what I don't want to do. Every morning I got up and said, I'm going to not binge today. And every day I binged. Number two, I don't do what I want to do. 
Every day I got up and said, I'm going to follow my food plan today. I'm going to be a good girl today. And every day I didn't follow my food plan. Either way, my mind, my will is screwed up. I am screwed with this mental obsession. I am absolutely screwed. I couldn't do anything against it. Either way, I didn't. I, I couldn't do what I wanted, and I didn't do what I, I didn't want. So that just really brought it home to me that how unmanageable this is, and that I cannot do this myself. Thank God we've, you know, we've been through. There is a solution. There is a solution to this problem of mine. It's called a power greater than you, Monica. And by working these steps. I was able to get a relationship with this power. And that power removes daily this obsession of my mind, this crazy thinking, these lies, these delusions. As long as I maintain working these steps, you know, 10, 11, and 12 every day. So yeehaw, there is a solution to this crazy thinking of mine. And it's called a higher power. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica T. Amanda R., please go ahead. Good morning. It's Amanda R., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. And uh, this first paragraph we read uh, is one of three paragraphs. I have this little cheat sheet written inside the uh, back cover of my big book, and it's a list of page numbers to answer various questions that people often have. And one of them, which I a question I certainly had when I was coming in, is, is this really me? Like, do I, is this program for me? Do I fit um, sort of the diagnosis of an addict? Because this sounds like a lot of work to me. You know, is this really worth going through with? I'm not sure if this is me or not. So there are three pages. One is this page 34, uh, where it says, if anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for one year. If he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there is scant chance of his success. Um, the other, the second page is one we just went through recently, page 31, Um right down the bottom there where it says uh, we do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. For me, I I substitute Chinese buffet. Uh, Try to drink and stop abruptly. Um, Try it more than once. It will not take long for you to decide if you are honest with yourself about it. So Goodness, yeah, I imagine myself in the Chinese buffet with a plate and a half of food and then leaving without eating, like, five plates. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's I couldn't do that. And the final uh, page I have written down in my little cheat sheet thingy is uh, page 44 um, up, at, uh, up at the top, which is the, the diagnosis of an alcoholic. If, when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. So um, 
those are just little reflection points to think about, talk about with people. Is this me? Is this not me? It might not be. If if it's not you, um, I give you balloons and a party hat and confetti and say congratulations. But if it is you, um, don't worry. It's okay. We got a way out. And um, that's all I have to say. I pass. Thank you, Amanda R. Amy MC, please go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, uh, everyone, for your shares this morning. I've really gotten so much out of everyone. Um, I'm Amy MC calling from Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, I just love these paragraphs. These morning, this morning when I was uh, reading them over before the call, I could just so connect to it. Uh, how many times did I swear off a certain food only to take it back and binge on it, even more so the next day? I mean, I remember those periods of times where I could go um, a day without eating um, an ice cream or a specific sugary item and that sense of accomplishment that I would feel and, oh, my gosh, that was great. Yesterday, you know, I didn't have that. So today I can have it because yesterday I was good. It was all about being good or being bad. And, and even still, you know, people... Um, whom I work with or, um, you know, acquaintances will comment, oh, you're so good, Amy, you don't eat that. You know, it's not a matter of being good or bad, you know. It didn't make me a bad person um, when I would eat these items uh, and things, but they did. They triggered something in me uh, that was uncontrollable. I couldn't stop once I started. Um, I'm certainly powerless over the food. And I couldn't do it alone. Um, I, I still, I can't do it alone. I need to work with others. I need to go through the steps, listen to meetings, have a sponsor, work with others. Uh, and, and most importantly, I need a power greater than myself, um, you know, to restore me to sanity each and every day. I need to turn over my life and my will over to God um, as I understand God and, and just ask for that guidance because I have an inability to leave it alone, you know. How many times did I go back to the food? How many times did I pick something up off the floor, throw it in the trash, dig it out of the trash, say, oh, okay, you know, nothing got on it. I'm going to finish it anyway. Throw the ice cream away. Oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't dump it. It's still in the container. It's still good enough. I can eat it. Um, you know, I lost my ability to choose, um, you know, what foods nourish my body. I didn't have that. Uh, I still don't. I need to make a plan. I need to have it inspired by God in order for it to be successful for me to, um, to, to eat, to live, and not to live to eat. And, uh, you know, thanks to this program, I'm able to do that one day at a time. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy MC. We have time for two more shares. Who would like Renata. to? Renata. Renata Nancy R. I'm sorry, who was the second person I heard? Nancy R. No, it was a man's voice, I think. Who was it? Michael H. Right, Michael H. Okay, Nancy, I'm sorry. We won't have time for you, but hopefully you can stay for the second hour. Okay, Renata G., your turn. Thank, thank you, Kathy, for your service. Good morning. Good morning, family. This is Renata G. 
living a solution for today, calling from Chile. And what came for me this morning is that, you know, the the necessity or the wish to stop eating, you know, to stopping to stop overeating because of the consequences it, it brought to my life, they you know, they made me able to stop temporarily. You know, the misery that compulsive overeating brought to me always made me stop. You know, always made me go on diets or try different solutions that would work for a little while. But, you know, um, without living on spiritual basis, without working these steps, my mind would always convince me to pick up that first bite again, and then I would be off to the races. And so, you know, the big book talks about how working this 12 steps uh, produces a psychic change that is enough to change your thinking. So picking up that first bite is not, it's not a necessity, is not an option. It's not something that, you know, I even think to do. But it's really, for me, you know, a real compulsive, compulsive overeater based on my spiritual condition. As long as I'm abstinent and working the steps, the thought of eating or picking up foods that are not in my food plan never comes. And so, you know, but trying to uh, just stay abstinent, uh, using tools and calling people and things like that, that was never enough. And also trying to just stay abstinent because of the consequences of this disease was never enough to keep me off the food. At some point, like it says in this chapter, you know, the time and place that I would pick up again would always come because I'm a real compulsive overeater. I am spring-loaded to eat when I cannot cope with life. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Renata G. Michael H., you'll be our last share today. Good morning, Kathy K. May I be heard? Yes, you can. Awesome. Thank you for your service. This is Michael H. from the great state of Illinois, recovered compulsive overeater one day at a time by the grace of God. I just wanted to plug into the power of these pages real quick as I read through this. The thing that came to mind is this really just, you know, sounded like me. It, it was the yo-yo dieting before recovery that I did um, for as near as I can figure 30 years, 30 plus years trying to get a handle on what I had no power to to stop. I wanted to stop because you wanted to stop. I really, truly did want to stop. Sometimes, sometimes I didn't care, but then there was times when I wanted to stop. But I couldn't stop because, as this says, it was impossible because there was no way. And if I was still doing that um, on my own terms, trying to fix it myself, I'd be doing the exact same thing. Um, and and when I when I hear this, I I hear a lot in the rooms. And if I didn't know better, I would say you know that this is a diet. You know, it's about diet club and weight loss and and about food. And, and it's really not for me. It's although I have to eat still. Um, what I eat today, you know, provides nourishment. And what I don't eat, what I don't eat, more importantly, 
keeps me keeps the allergy at bay. It keeps me from triggering the allergy. And the obsession of the mind that I have is dealt with by living in 10, 11, and 12. And and so this isn't a diet. It's an addiction. And I just, just want to reiterate that, um, that I am powerless over this. And I can't stop. And, and I didn't actually stop. It was working these 12 steps that brought about the personality change sufficient enough to arrest this disease. Uh, one day at a time with that, I will pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Michael H. Okay, it's now time to stop this first hour of our meeting. Thank you, everyone who has shared, and my apologies to those who didn't get to share. I hope you'll stay for the second hour after announcements. Um, the share ID for today's meeting, May 2nd, 2017 at 7 a.m. is 9896. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Tina S., would you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, Tina S., compulsive uh, recovered compulsive feeder anorexic in Florida. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.